0: Of money that I would never have had access to had I not been licensed. So, um, you know, all those things combined has really made our company grow, I think, faster than we would have if we weren't doing the broker dealer.
1: You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Tim, welcome to the show.
0: Well, Matt, uh, it's been a pleasure to be invited onto your show, so I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, well, you like to, you know we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's yes. your favorite ice cream?
0: The all-time favorite ice cream, it was a hard decision. I had to pick between two, but I, uh, I'm going to go with my gut, and that's cookies and cream.
1: Love it, love it. Now, you, judging by the accent, you're not from Alabama, so you're obviously in New York. <laughs> Um, if we're ever up that way where's the best ice cream we can get in new york city
0: oh my gosh i mean i gotta be really honest with you i have not been to manhattan uh in a really long time um but in queens i will tell you that there's the corona ice king and if you ever heard of like uh italian ices this is the original spot. It's been there for like a hundred years. It's still old school, no frills, and they have the best ices you can get. It's on a hundred and eighth street, uh, in Corona,
1: Queens. Nice. I will I'm coming up that way in October, so I will have to check it out. Um well tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So
0: so I still work as a New York City firefighter. I'm a lieutenant now in the borough of Queens. That's how I know about the Lemon Ice King. Um, but before then, I was a firefighter in uh, Brooklyn, uh, a town called Crown Heights. And um, it's been the ride of a lifetime. Uh, previous to my real estate career, I was also had a side job as an ER nurse in a level one trauma center. So I uh, went from you know the high stakes games of firefighting into the uh, ER, and that's how I lived my life. Um, in my 20s and 30s you know and it was good i mean life was good for a while right i always had steady work had the overtime you know my wife got to stay home in the beginning with our our oldest daughters Um, you know it was fine two vacations a year maxed out to 457 bills were paid you know there wasn't a lot to complain about except that i didn't have my time matt and at the time i didn't understand what that meant and how valuable that was But looking back uh i can totally tell you that it's caused you know some regrets on how i ran my my life so uh so today i am still a firefighter i got 22 months until i hit my 20-year anniversary uh, which means that i'll be eligible to retire with a pension and benefits um and i also am a co-founder of a small private equity shop called cityside capital it's me and my brother greg who lives down in virginia and uh, we connect retail investors, 1031 exchange investors, and institutional capital to uh, commercial uh, real estate deals uh, through a vetting process that uh, that my broker-dealer um, you know, undertakes. So I'm happy to dive into any of that.
1: So um, a couple of questions before we get into the real estate stuff. So I don't know much about being a firefighter, and I don't know much about being a nurse either, but I do kind of think I understand their schedules are like hey, you're gonna work two days in a row being a firefighter, have a couple of days off and then come back and do the same. And then nursing's probably pretty similar, right? So were you just working like 24 hour shifts as a fire depart- firefighter and then taking a nap and then doing 24 hours as a nurse? How, did, how in the world did you juggle that?
0: Uh, good question. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're mostly right. I, I, so I traditionally firefighters in New York City, at least we do 24 hour shifts, right? So it could be a day, uh, into the next morning, you know, 24 or it could be the night you start the night and you work until the next night. And it's never the same. There's no like ABCD chart. Like a lot of departments have, you know, um, where you always work the a shift every time a comes up, you know? Um, and then in the ER I did, you know, generally speaking, I did 12 hour shifts, right? Seven to seven. Um, 11 to 11, three to three, sometimes like, uh, sometimes I do more 16 hours, you know, if I took a little bit of, you know, extra time, Um, or sometimes I would just do four hours, right, they were just getting crushed, and they put out a text for an SOS, hey, we need somebody for four hours to come help out with the, you know, acute patient acuity and, uh, you know, volume. Um, So but generally speaking, I would do 24s and 12s, 24s and 12s. And um, that's kind of how I (laughs) that's how I did it. Yeah.
1: What, what what drove you to the nursing side? I mean, I, I've heard that a lot of firefighters have kind of that extra time on their hands. So they're always kind of tinkering and trying to find something to do. Was it that or was it income? Like what, what drove you to that?
0: Uh, so there's two things. Um, number one, I am not handy. So like you do not <laughs> want to have a hammer in my hands, even though I'm into real estate and everything. Everyone's like, how is that possible? You're a firefighter who's, you know, you should know how to use tools <laughs> and you're into real estate and you don't know how to use tools. And I'm like, check and check. Uh, it's so bad that my wife won't even let me hang pictures on the wall in my house like I just have to have somebody do that so embarrassing yes but you know hey listen I wasn't cut out for like the HVAC technician or a contractor or you know electrician or anything like that so like um so that's one thing that's what a lot of guys do so um the second thing is, I was—I like to joke around that I was pre-med for about 15 minutes in college uh, until I joined a fraternity, and I think you guys can understand why I was only pre-med for 15 minutes, right? So I always had like that, uh, and I was an EMT at 18 years old. I, I really was, I wanted to be a physician. Um and so like I had that you know, in me, uh, that altruistic kind of streak in me, number one. Number two, I was already involved in emergency services, you know, helping people in their time of need. Like I, that's me, I wanna be in the room, I wanna be helping, I wanna do all that stuff. So it was really a natural fit. Uh, and I worked with a bunch of nurses. I worked with three nurses at my firehouse and they had the nice cars, their wives didn't work. Uh, they had steady side work whenever they wanted it. So there was just a really, uh, there was a symbiotic relationship between the two, the two careers.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned, um, a broker dealer earlier, and I didn't know this about your story. So I'm super interested in asking you these questions. So there in the, in the, in the form of real estate, there are co-GPs and co-sponsors. There are broker dealers and there are IRAs. Co-GPs are responsible for the property. Broker dealers help with the underwriting and finding the assets and kind of connecting the investors. But could you help us understand a little bit more about what is a broker dealer? And then I'd love to know like why you went that route. So I'm
0: going to push back a little tiny bit, Matt. Right. So Perfect. I
1: don't know anything about this. Yeah, yeah. So this is good.
0: So this is, um, but this is good because when I say the word broker dealer, people are, they shut, they shake their head like they, Oh yeah, broker dealer, you know, because you know, it just sounds like they should know what they're you know, what it is, but, um, it's very different from like a commercial real estate broker who's sourcing, you know, maybe some, uh, deals or something like that. A broker dealer is on the capital raising side, right? So, um, you know, if you think about Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, any, you know, any investment bank or, you know, uh, house, like those, those are broker dealers, right? Like those are broker dealers that focus on stocks, bonds, ETFs, uh, mutual funds, you know, you, you know, stuff like that, where our broker dealer focuses on private placement investments in commercial real estate. We don't do stocks. We don't do bonds. We don't do ETFs. We don't do anything else. Uh, we 're not an advisory firm we don 't make recommendations. Basically, what my firm uh, does is we do the vetting process for suitability purposes, right So we will vet the operators and make sure they say who they uh, they are who they say they are, that their track record checks out that they owned the properties they said they 're owned you know that the llcs are in good standing, you know all the due diligence that maybe a retail investor wouldn 't really understand how to do or what to do or you know how much it cost or anything like that on top of site visits. And we have an underwriting team that goes through, you know, the, uh, the operators that we work with, that goes through their underwriting assumptions and stuff like that. So that when we do put a deal out to our investor base, you know, they kind of know that, you know, Cityside Capital, and through our broker dealer, you know, we have kind of done some of the due diligence that we need to do to say, you know, um, you know, at least I like this deal, right, Greg and I, my partner, Greg and I, we invest, we're gonna invest in this deal. And we put it out to our, you know, to our investors.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So why did you decide to go the route of broker dealer versus like a co-GP? Can you talk us through that? Great question.
0: This is a very murky topic, capital raising, right? Because um, when when folks hear about, you know, commercial real estate, whether you're, you're in a mastermind or you're an education platform or you're like, wow, like that sounds incredible. I want to get in on the general partnership. Like I want to be on the GP. I don't want to just be an LP, right? Uh, meaning the general partnership versus the limited partnership you know uh one of the ways that makes well let me back up commercial real estate's a team sport right so you might have somebody mm-hmm. who's really good at uh, acquisitions guy that's great at uh you know contracting type stuff and renovations and you have an underwriter you have a insurance guy finance guy you know and then you have the capital raising side or the investor relations side and that's not always the glamorous part of the job right like it's kind of high stress to kind of get the capital together and you know uh figure out the capital stack and getting people to wire on time you know investor communications it's not the it's not the sexiest part of the job so you know um so people can jump into that spot and say you know what i can i can get onto the team by raising capital except that you really can't if you don't have a, what's called a, substan- a substantive um, role in the management of that asset, right? You can be the acquisitions person, or you could be the asset manager or the property manager or the underwriter, or you could be the insurance numbers guy, or you could be the boots on the ground. Like there's so many ways to be involved in the running of that asset where you can check the box and be totally safe. But if you're not doing that, you're just raising capital to get onto the GP. You're essentially selling securities without a license and that's a big deal. That's fraud and that can get you in, you know, in prison. So when I learned about all this, uh, you know, beginning in my journey a couple of years ago, I want to I like to sleep, Matt, and I like to sleep well at night. Uh, so I said, you know, I don't want to play uh, the game of, you know, let me raise capital for deals. And, you know, how, how can I build a business around this? Right. Because I had already done, you know, three deals uh, by by partnering with other folks. Um, so, but the capital raising was something that was attractive to me and my brother, Greg, uh, and we weren't going to be leaving New York anytime soon to where he's in Virginia. You know, we weren't going to be moving to, uh, Phoenix or Austin or Dallas or Florida that just wasn't on the cards for us right now. Um, so we got introduced to a broker dealer that was, you know, basically sent from heaven because that's what exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to get our licenses and and join a broker dealer that only focused on this, uh, kind of niche. And that's, uh, that's basically how this journey started.
1: Yeah, you said you like to sleep, but I'm going to push back on you now and say that push you back. had two stressful jobs with two long hour, two jobs that work long hours. I don't think you do like to sleep. I was wondering when you would sleep in that.
0: And I had, and I have three little girls. Twelve. And you have and three four. little girls. Yeah. So, uh, so now you no. know why I desire to sleep at least a little bit at home.
1: Yeah. No. And I, I appreciate you explaining that because I've gone and done a couple of speaking engagement conferences, talking to friends here recently, and they all say the same thing. Like I can bring capital to a deal. I want to be on the GP, et cetera. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this is a you've got to do more than just that. And I always encourage people to make sure that they are doing more, documenting more, because it will throw you in jail if you're doing this incorrectly. So I'm, I appreciate your perspective of like, hey, I, I only kinda wanna do this portion of the job, so let me make sure I'm doing it in the right way.
0: Um, and Matt, let me just stack on top real quick. You know, So a lot of these deals are done under uh, a Reg D offering, right? It's called, a, uh, it's an exemption from having to file all those documents that like an IPO has to do, right? Uh, so there's a 506B and there's a 506C, right? And that's under a Reg D exemption. Because of that, that's why the securities laws are in the mix here. Now, if somebody like Cityside Capital was the operator, right? I was gonna go out and find the deal, I'm gonna gonna get the debt, I'm gonna do the due diligence, I'm gonna do the underwriting, I'm gonna do the asset management, the property management, everything. I can just go raise capital for my deal. It's my deal, I'm the general partner, I'm doing all the things, or I have a, a, a part of all the things, I can raise as much money as I want. I can raise millions and millions and millions of dollars and I can still sleep well at night. It's when people want to come into the deal on the side right and say listen i can bring capital to a deal i just want to be a part of that general partnership and i only want to get paid for bringing capital to the deal i don't want to do anything else that's when we run into problems
1: yep yep so you're um i think might be the first broker dealer i've had on the show can you talk us through somebody's out there listening they're like hey i do only want to do the capital raising side of it i don't care to do any of the asset management all that what are some of the qualifications or licenses that you have to have to do uh, to do uh, be a broker dealer? Great question.
0: So the route that I took was three exams, right? Uh, something called the SIE or the Securities Industries Essentials Exam, and anybody can take that, right? You could just you know um, buy the book, study, or take a class, you know, study and um, take that exam. Once you take that exam, then you have to be sponsored for the next two exams, right? So my every broker dealer is a little different how they want to run their shop. our broker dealer wanted us to have the series 82 license right for the private placements and the uh series 63 which is like the what's called the blue sky laws uh which basically anybody in uh you know finance has to kind of take you know uh the 63 or the 65. Um, so those were the two that, that was the route that my broker dealer wanted me to take. There's also a series 22, um, that other broker dealers in this space, who I now know, um, have taken the 22 instead of the 82, uh, but also the series seven for like stock brokers and, you know, general securities license, basically, uh, that can suffice for, uh, depending on what kind of, avenue you, you want to go down the series seven can, uh, can trump the 82 or the 22. Gotcha.
1: And then, what are like general cost for taking those exams?
0: Uh, reasonable, a uh, couple hundred bucks. You know, um, I, I believe. Um, don't don't yeah yeah. Me, but I, I think it's yeah, a couple hundred bucks at like you know your your local you know testing. Um, i took it at like a storefront you know testing agency I forget what the name of it was but um but yeah for those those latter two of those series those series exams you have to be sponsored by a broker dealer to take those exams
1: gotcha gotcha as i've done investigation in this space i've also heard the term ria come up as well registered investment advisor i don't did you look at that path at all
0: so rias are um on the other side of a broker dealer right so Those are the folks who have to take, you know, uh, say the Series 7 and uh, the 65, you know, uh, the 7 is the general securities license where you can actually make recommendations to folks about, you know, hey, I think, you know, you're 40, you've got kids, you're married, you have a good job, I think you should do X, Y and Z investments, you know, because here's why, right? And you can make recommendations. And, you know, they're, they're called financial advisors, or, you know, you know, the RIA financial advisor, you know, that's what, that's what they do. They make recommendations based upon your age, your income, your goals, um, timeline, health, you know, life insurance, you know, all those, and they kind of have a holistic picture. Uh, the problem is that RIAs get paid well, most of the RAs get paid by assets under management, right? Some of them are fee only. Uh, you, you can search up fee only RAs where there might be a flat fee for the year or you know, uh, consultation or whatever it might be. But otherwise, if you get into the bigger numbers, you know, high six figures, seven figures, eight figures, you know, you're paying 1%, you know, mm-hmm. plus or minus 25 basis points or something like that for them to be your financial advisor. Um, and the problem is they don't get paid for, or there's, there's a very gray area when it comes to real estate, because say they work for, and I'm just going to throw out X, Y, Z bank, but you know, it might be, you know, LPL financial or uh mass mutual or Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, whatever it might be, if the real estate is not on their platform and it hasn't been vetted and everything. There's no way you're ever going to see the deals that, say, CitySide Capital does or maybe the deals that Matt does because they're too small or they're just they haven't been vetted properly. They're not ready for institutional type investments or, you know, um, it's a private placement. So if somebody has if a financial advisor has, you know, your interest, uh, you know, uh, for your money and they're getting paid on that, say it's a million bucks and you want to take 500,000 and put it in deal with Matt, well, guess what? They don't always know how to get paid for that 500K. So they don't want to let that go. You know, I mean, that's, uh, let's be honest, that's what, $5,000 a year um, that they're never going to see again, potentially, right? So they're not incentivized to show you private placement deals because they don't know how to get paid on it. And that's a code that I'm trying to crack. So if anybody out there is listening to this I am all ears because I have myself, my brother, we're about to onboard a a Wall Street guy into our firm. We have my broker-dealer working on this. I've had multiple calls with uh, multiple groups about how to bridge the gap because I feel that the RIA channel is woefully underserving their clients Mm -hmm. by, by negating this entire alternative asset class.
1: It's funny because as we were getting involved in the space, I, like you, like to sleep. And while we have substantial uh, time, energy, effort, blood, sweat, tears, a lot of airline miles involved in the properties that we have, it just made me want to sleep better at night and look at these other options. However, when I had a conversation with the only person I know that's an RIA, he said exactly that. He said the SEC hasn't figured out what we're doing in real estate yet because really private syndications were only open mass to the public in the 2007, uh, 2012 reinvestment act or something like that. Um, so before then they were, they were 1913 laws, I think 1933, 1913 securities act. So it, it was written in a time when this wasn't an option. And that's exactly what he said. It's like the RIA community just hadn't figured it out yet how to, how to, and how to make this all work.
0: That's exactly right. So it was the Jobs Act of 2011, I think, or 2012 that had the Reg D 506B and 506C offering. Well, the 506C offering, where where if you had only accredited investors, you can now market that you can go on radio, TV, podcast, you can put it up on your website, you can send out mailers like, you know, before that you had to know somebody with a substantive relationship. Like, so where were those conversations happening, Matt, right? They were happening at the Yacht Club and the Golf Club. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, if you didn't know anybody, then how do you learn about these private placement deals? So like this is private equity for the common folk kind of thing. Right. So, um, you know, I think in 2011, 2012, that began to shift. Right. So it's still very new. So, um, for example, I went to an alternative investment conference in Buckhead, Georgia a couple months ago where I thought this is going to be great. Right. We're going to talk about alternative investments. And I'm telling you, it was all RIAs and and money managers and they thought that I was crazy. They thought that I was risky. They thought, what am I even doing here? Because to them, real estate means whoever is on the level on a real estate investment trust in interval funds, opportunity zones, and they didn't want to know anything about private placements. They didn't want to know anything about one-off, you know, uh, 400 unit apartment deals in Dallas, because that was completely out of their, their comfort zone. They don't know how to get paid for it. And they don't want to even talk about it. I walked out of there. I was like, Holy cow. There's an untapped resource here. These people are crazy for not even investigating the possibility about what is out there. I mean, you- You know, Matt, I've listened to some of your shows, there's car washes, there's self-storage, there's multifamily, there's triple net leases. I mean, there is all sorts of things out there that people maybe don't even know about, but their finance, their quote unquote financial guy will never tell them about because either he or she doesn't understand it and, or they can't get paid on it because they haven't cracked the code.
1: That's right. And that's why, by the way, you don't see, um, some of the offerings that you all do, or some of the offerings we do in fidelity. Because they haven't figured out how to get paid on it. And it always cracks me up to hear like real estate is an alternative investment, but GameStop or uh, all these SPACs that you saw two years ago aren't alternative investments. Hey fellow investors, before we dive into our next segment of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about a fantastic opportunity for you to invest with me. As you know, here at Ice Cream with Investors, I'm passionate about real estate investing and helping you navigate the exciting world of wealth creation through real estate. And that's why for the first time... I'm thrilled to tell you about an opportunity for you to invest alongside of me. Over the past three years, I've been investing in multifamily, mobile home parks, car washes. I've even become the bank and lent out money to fellow real estate investors on a short-term basis. And now you can come join me. If you would like to jump on a call and learn more about this opportunity, head to icecreamwithinvestors.com slash invest and find a time for us to connect. And now back to the show.
0: Yeah. And, you know, listen, like, I, I have to be very careful about what I say now, right? Because there's compliance, and we have a compliance officer, and you know, I have my licenses, and I can't make recommendations. And um, I can't, you know, talk about, uh, believe it or not, we can't talk about internal rate of return, right? We have to give a range, uh, we can't even give a range, we have to give like, a a sensitivity table on our on our deal decks about internal rate of return. It's it's crazy, right? But we got to color inside the lines, we have to play by the rules, right? And a lot of these rules are, in my in my opinion, are a little bit archaic because I think there's people that really want to know about these deals. They want to know, you know, this may or may not be for me, but at least want to know about it, right? I mean, uh, put it in front of me and let me decide or help me understand it, right? And if you're working with a, a subset of RIAs that don't understand it, then you're just never going to hear about it.
1: Yeah. How do you think uh, going through this process as a broker dealer and um, the licenses, et cetera, has helped you evaluate or understand offerings a little bit better?
0: You know, it's given me uh, a great education around you know um, rules and regs, compliance, finances, uh, debt structures. You know, you really kind of dive in deep. the uh to the plumbing to the financial plumbing behind these deals right because at the end of the day it's a it's a security that we're basically selling to investors right uh we're selling an interest in a a multi-family or a self-storage or whatever um so on top of having my own knowledge about that my self-education my mentorship and all everything like that it's been so helpful to have a broker dealer to basically lean on for you know advice and deal structuring and underwriting and asking questions and pushing back or getting clarity. Um, but having you know the the legal team behind us, right? Having the accounting team, having the underwriting team, you know, all of those things have helped us grow as a company. It's been able to, you know, it's opened up doors for me for companies and and, and money, uh, pools of money that I would never have had access to had I not been licensed. So, um, you know, all those things combined has really made our company grow, I think, faster than we would have if we weren't doing the broker-dealer.
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the key people you called out during that was the underwriter. Um, As you know, when you start looking at some of these deals the offering memorandums and the investment summaries have a very, very, very high level view of how these underwritings are done. And then what they what you don't see is the spreadsheet behind it with literally thousands of rows of if then formulas and data and all that kind of stuff. And man, if you're off by a decimal point on some of those, it can widely change the assumptions of an offering. So I think having that is, is very, very key.
0: You know, listen. I mean, um, I have never sat in on a investor webinar, either as a LP or through my role here at CitySide capital and heard anybody say other anything other than it's conservative underwriting, (laughs) right? I've never heard somebody say that we have sketchy underwriting and sketchy assumptions and, you know, a 30,000 foot view on our project here. So who wants to invest, right? Um, to me, I think Matt being a New Yorker, um, for, for better or for worse, like you're guilty until proven innocent in my mind. Right. And that's just kind of how I grew up. That's just like the lens through which I've, uh, viewed life. Right. And, uh, my wife is working with me on that to maybe be a little bit, you know, nicer, but you know, um, but that comes to my money too. Right. Like I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Right. So I think with those two frameworks, I really want to make sure that I'm dotting my I's crossing my T's because not only am I investing my own capital into these deals, my brother's capital and my dad's capital and my uncles and my aunts and my cousins and my college roommates and my neighbors and my colleagues but i have people that meet me on podcasts or i meet them on you know at conferences or i meet them at dinner or i meet them in all sorts of places right and they become my investors and i owe it to them to really know the numbers right to understand the numbers the debt structure you know how the returns going to work what are the taxes going to be like you know there's a lot of lot of different avenues that goes into a, a private placement and i think that's why you know we have to have complete education for not even the, the RIAs out there, but everyday retail investors, 1031 exchange investors. I mean, there's just a ton to, to learn. And we're trying to make this passive for people for a reason, right? Because they're too busy to really do this by themselves or they're, you know, they're a physician or they're a surgeon or they're an engineer or they're a school teacher, who knows? But they don't have the time or the knowledge or the know-how to do this by themselves, which is why they're relying on a, on a, on a firm like ours, Matt, uh, to, to help them out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just laughing because I can't imagine joining a webinar and then like, we went really aggressive on this one. Boy, if anything changes in the economy, Mm -hmm. this is going to tank you. But go ahead and invest.
0: You know, like, listen, like, you know, right now deals are hard to come by. Right. So I was on a webinar recently and, you know, the going in cap rate was, I think, four and a half and the exit cap rate was a four. I mean, that's uh, wow. negative 50 basis points over a five year uh, time horizon. Wow. And just so, invest, so listeners know, right? If you're going in at a, a capitalization rate is nothing more than if you buy the, the property in cash, what the expected yield would, would be, right? So if I bought this property in cash, I get a four and a half. Uh, so they call it a four and a half cap and that's a measure by which we evaluate property's value, right? So the higher the cap rate, the lower the price. The lower the cap rate the higher the price So if we're going into four and a half and you're saying to me over the five-year period that we're going to be exiting at a lower cap rate and a much higher valuation wow right that's not conservative i mean that is aggressive and i couldn't i couldn't believe my ears um needless to say i did not put my money into that deal as an lp uh i simply turned off the webinar at that point and i uh, went about my day but it's it's knowing things like that and educating investors you know through our newsletters or through podcasts like this and and matt's podcast here it's by listening to folks that are doing the thing that you want to do um that you can get the incredible amount of information
1: do you want to go ahead and tell our listeners which uh, instagrams they should block and uh, not follow who's pumping that deal
0: Oh, uh, you know what? I, you know, listen, this is a very, <laughs> this is a very small neighborhood uh, commercial real estate, right? So you need, you need to play nice in the sandbox, but um, it, it it is, it is a topic of concern though, right? Because, you know, if you have had a liquidity event or you just, you know, have money that you want to invest in real estate, but you don't want to be the landlord and you all of a sudden you go to, you know, Google and you type in passive investing opportunities, Nashville, Tennessee, you have no idea who's going to pop up, right? Um, and, and what, and what makes them qualified and they could have the sexiest website and the coolest deal decks and the most fancy automations and and email sequences that you've ever seen in your life. But does that make them a good operator? Does that make them a good steward of your capital? Are they shady underwriters? Are they aggressive? Are they conservative? You know, like, so this is where the education piece, uh, really comes into play.
1: Yep. A hundred percent. Well, Tim, we didn't even get to dig into all of the things that you're doing around multifamily self-storage and triple net. So I'm going to offer you a invitation to come back and talk to us about that, but to be cognizant of your time and make sure you get to tacos with the kids today. oh yeah, I'm going to switch us now into our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. That's our first that. one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, So the book I'm I'm listening to on Audible right now is called Flash Boys, uh, by Michael Lewis. And if you want to get, uh, if you want to have your blood boil about the stock market, you should uh, read and/or listen to this book, uh, all about high-frequency trading and uh, and Wall Street, like that. Um, and I'm not one of those guys who trash Wall Street like all day long. You know, I still have a 457. I'm still invested in equities and, and bonds and all, you know, all stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's eye opening. Uh, but the best book, my favorite book that I usually read and or listen to every year is The Wealthy Gardener by John Sofork.
1: Okay. I haven't heard of that, so I'm going to have to look at that. Our second one is I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have?
0: Uh, I wake up early now. I wake up early. Uh, I think we were talking offline. I have three little girls, 12, nine and four. Uh, so, uh, it's gotta get done in the early in the morning or else it's not gonna get done. So waking up early, but I also read 10 pages a day, right? Uh, if I, if my, am the thesis behind that, if I can read 10 pages a day, it's 300 a month, that's 3, 3600 for the year. You know, if the average book is say 300 uh, pages, I'm looking at 12 books a year, right? So, um, you know, it's it's all in how you, you know, frame things. And if you can't tell me that you can wake up a half hour early to read 10 pages, I'm going to say that you're crazy, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Or you don't care about growth. Mm -hmm. Our third one is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Uh, you know, when I saw this on the email, Matt, I really I had a hard time with these questions. I gotta be honest with you. But uh, I guess the best piece of advice was you don't need a PhD to make a decision, right? Um, you gotta, you know, you have to get educated. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but you can't have, you know, uh, analysis paralysis, right? If we needed a PhD, every time we had to make a decision, we'd be, you know, just stuck in life. So, uh, so I would say commit, get educated and then take action.
1: Yeah. And just to add on to that, I read this in the four hour work week from uh, Tim Ferriss a while ago. It was like, if you want to become a 95th percentile on a specific subject, go check out the three top books in that subject. And you'll automatically know more than 95% of the people out there. And sometimes I feel like, like you do broker dealer and real estate all day, every day, and you might even be like, oh, well, I don't know about this. And it's like, "How? what value could I tell other people? And it's like, you do this every day. You have way more knowledge than they know. So I I've love that. And I love that. Sorry to go on a tangent. No, it's great. <laughs> um, our fourth one is, what are you most proud of in your life?
0: I also had a, you know, shockingly, I had a tough one on this one too. But I mean, uh, I mean I'm a dad of three girls. I mean, there's no... Um, there's no bigger love that I have than being a dad and being involved in their life. And a uh, big reason why I'm here today and not still in the uh, Level 1 Trauma Center as an ER nurse is because of them um, seeking to serve them and, and bring them upright. So uh, I guess I'm just really proud to be a dad and a girl dad at that.
1: Yeah, it's the most challenging and fulfilling role I've ever had in my life. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's the same front on your side. No doubt. Our fifth and final one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why?
0: Uh, you know, I really thought about this one a lot, too. And I would say it's uh, Jim Rohn, uh, who is uh, a de facto mentor of Greg and I. Um, when we got started on this journey a couple of years ago, you know, um, we dove into all the classics, right? Jim Rohn, Earl Nightingale, uh, you know, a lot of those, you know, self self-help, you know, personal growth and development type folks. And unfortunately, he passed away, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, But I just love his stuff, right? I sometimes when I wake up early, and I get my 10 pages in, I might hop on YouTube and watch one of his speeches or, um, you know, download some of his audio. And um, he just got he has timeless, timeless um, information that I think I just would really like to hear, you know, firsthand.
1: I love it. Um, Actually, two for two this week. The last podcast I recorded this week, they said the same thing. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge Jim Rohn fan over here. Well, Tim, fantastic conversation. I'm sorry we didn't even get a chance to talk about all the different asset classes that you're in. But if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn about those asset classes, where's the best place we can point them?
0: Yeah, I want you to call me on my cell phone. It's 516-521-7762 or head over to our website, citysidecap.com. And my email is just Tim at citysidecap.com.
1: Perfect. We will leave that in the show notes. And then Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.